Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. What's up, everyone? Happy New Year. Happy 2023. Welcome to a very special episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. And I'm Tim. And this is the New Year's episode where we recap the year in travel and make predictions for 2023 that will almost certainly turn out to be wrong. We're going to be talking about travel trends that we see emerging, our favorite stories that we've covered this past year, and the destinations that we've visited in 2022 that we think are really doing things right and that we're excited to visit again in 2023 or that we want people to check out in 2023. That's right, Evan. We did something similar to this last year, but I think this year we're taking it a little further by breaking down kind of all aspects of travel coverage that we've seen uh, over the last year and going into this new year and using that to base our predictions, which, as you said, very well may weigh, very well may turn out to be wrong. Yeah, so we can get right into it, I guess, with travel trends. Tim, what do you see for trends? You're a trend guy. You keep your finger on the pulse. You you're, you you know what's going on in the industry, I think, more than I do. What do you think? What are you seeing? Right. So the first thing I think is coming and going to continue to be more of a trend in 2023 is that guided tours are gaining more respect. You know, I see this with all the great boutique tour operators, including a few that we've interviewed here on the show. I, I think that there are a lot of companies that are specializing not just in targeting, you know, uh, older travelers that want to be taken on a bus and have everything done for them, but are actually targeting travelers that want to dive into the culture, have an immersive experience, and get a lot out of the travel that they're doing, but not necessarily have to do all the planning themselves. Maybe they don't have a group of people that are willing to go on this trip with them, so they want to be paired with a group of people that are already going, that type of stuff. And I think the one thing, Evan, that really stands out with me about this is companies like untamed borders that are that are booking group tours to places that people probably otherwise wouldn't be able to go. I think we're going to see a lot more stuff like that coming forward. Yeah, as I think I talked about on the pod already this year, we my parents went on a, a group tour trip to Europe, and I was very judgmental. Uh, basically pretty much told them that they were wasting their money, that they should just plan it themselves, they'd save a ton of money, they'd have more freedom, more flexibility, they wanted the convenience. They wanted to maybe be able to meet some people. They didn't want to have to deal with um, figuring out local transport, trains, bus schedules, carrying their own luggage, which I understand. But in, in the long run, I still felt like it was a, a bad move for them to put themselves on a bus with 40 strangers to tour around you know, Paris and Amsterdam. And after their trip last summer, they absolutely loved it. It was 100% the right move for them. They're already planning their next trip for next summer. As far as Untamed Borders goes, I think me and you both just learned of the existence of companies that do that, take, taking people to places that are otherwise considered unsafe or unreachable, inaccessible. And I think in a lot of cases, that's the only way to reach those destinations or to reach it with some level of peace of mind is by doing it with a, a tour provider. So in that case, yeah, I'm on board. I would definitely visit Iraq with a group tour. Right. Right. And the only other thing I'd add to that also is, you know, like uh, Pack Up and Go, Lillian, who we had on the show last season, 
booking surprise travel for people that kind of I would say fits mm, in right. almost into the same category where you're you're right. taking a trip that's going to be immersive but you're not planning it all yourself. And that's more gimmicky. That's the you don't know where you're going. You're planning a trip or the the, the 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 operator plans it for you. You have no idea where you're going. You just get to the airport and then you figure it out. And that's 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 it's a gimmick and it's a cool gimmick and I think that I would maybe consider it. But I, I think that that's, yeah, that kind of thing is, is maybe increasing in popularity and there's room for creativity in that space, which is always a good thing. Right. Speaking of creativity, one of my trends that I saw people kind of talking about on uh, other publications um, and other people in the travel industry are traveling for immersive experiences. So the past few years, we've been seeing the emergence of the Van Gogh exhibit, the King Tut exhibit, escape rooms, you know, these art, these art installations that are traveling and kind of, you know, moving around the country or even the world. What do we think about that? Traveling, you know, you're not going to plan an entire trip around going to the Van Gogh exhibit, but that's certainly a big piece of why people do maybe some smaller local trips. Um, I certainly, when I went to visit my parents in Colorado earlier this year, um, they live about an hour, hour and a half away from Denver. We went into Denver specifically for the the Van Gogh exhibit, and we you know made a little day trip of it. Uh, went into the city, had lunch, whatever. But the point was the Van Gogh exhibit. That's why we went in. Have you been to any of these uh, experiences? And what do you think about that? Meow Wolf. That's the other one I was thinking of. Meow Wolf is huge now. Yeah, Meow Wolf is a great example. And I just did a, a, a story for Matador about an exhibit like this. It was the Salvador Dali. Uh, Dolly Alive exhibit that is going on in Denver at the Stanley Marketplace right now. And very similar, you go in, you do a deep dive into his work, there's 3D installations. I think that that is on the rise. I think that it, it targets large groups of people. Uh, and it's kind of along the same lines as like f- immersive food tours or market tours, stuff like that, where it's like a one day thing, it's part of your trip, but it allows you to really get to know the place and the people a lot better than you would have if you would have just walked around and gone to the market by yourself. And it's always good to have a event or have a, a a reason why you're going somewhere. So if you're gonna go see Denver for the first time, you've never been to Denver, the Van Gogh exhibit is the linchpin of your trip, and then you can kind of branch off out of that. So it's good. It gives you it anchors your trip a little bit. But have you been to Van Gogh? I haven't been to the Van Gogh exhibit. Oh, you actually. haven't been. For some reason, I just assumed that you'd been. I I should go. Maybe I'll go while I'm up in the holidays uh, in Denver with my family. Well, the whole time I was there, I was thinking like, oh, I got to make sure to like talk to Tim about this afterwards because he's definitely gone. He's definitely an immersive Van Gogh guy. Uh, didn't even think twice to ask you whether you'd actually been or not, <laughs> but it's a, it's an art installation in Colorado. So I'd assumed you'd been to it. Well, the other trend that I, I think I've seen coming up a lot is in regards to traveling and road trips in particular, I think that travel with an electric vehicle is going to continue to get a lot easier and more popular with both renting them and traveling in your own now that we have coast-to-coast charging networks, cars with 200-plus mile ranges, cars with four-wheel drive, etc. I think that that is going to be uh, uh, an increasing trend, and I think that you'll probably start to see organized tours building around electric vehicles in the next couple of years. So is that kind of in line with sustainability as a trend? Because that was my next bullet point here. I think, yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. I think that there's such a, a, a mindset around that among travelers right now that it'll fit right in. Well, so why do you think the emergence of electric vehicles and the popularity of electric vehicles, do you think, why do you think that that would make people travel by car more than they would have by their non-electric vehicle? Because the price of gas, because people with road trips will be cheaper. Is that it? 
That's correct. Uh, there won't be a need so much to to uh, stop at gas stations if you can charge at a hotel or uh, if you can charge at events that you're doing already along the way. I think that it's going to kind of reshape how people travel. And, and one example I'll give of this that I think we will absolutely see, probably not in 2023, but in the coming years, is that highway rest stops are going to start becoming a lot more relevant again because there will be EV chargers there. And because of that, you will start to see other businesses pop up like coffee shops, restaurants. Uh, they won't just be these drab places with a bathroom and a bunch of people sleeping in their camper. They will begin to be uh, sort of the new gas station. Have we ever done at Matador, a roundup of the best highway rest stops? I don't think so, but that's a great article. Because that just kind of seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. I don't know how elaborate they get, but just sounds like there's got to be some cool ones out there. I think that, yeah, that's a good that's a good call. I think doing that article in like 2028 will be <laughs> a smash hit. Uh, well, my, I, my next trend was sustainability. We kind of touched on that already. Um, I, 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 that's, that's what the number one thing a lot of people are predicting is mm-hmm. more sustainable travel. I understand the, the electric vehicle thing, saving money on gas. I'm always skeptical on whether people are going to make their travel and vacation decisions based on trying to be eco-friendly. I've never really bought into that people taking a trip uh, or not taking a trip they might otherwise have taken because it's not they have to fly by plane they don't want to save on plane emissions or driving like adding six days to their trip so they can you know take a boat or drive an electric vehicle when it's easier to get there via a less energy efficient route i just don't know if i buy it What what do you think about that I you know I agree with you on that. I think the focus, as far as the sustainability goes, is on in destination uh, having a positive impact on the places that you visit. I don't I don't think that it it works to tell people not to travel. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it works to tell people yeah. not to fly. Uh, that's not the answer. I think that the answer is to do what you can along the way. If you if you view mm-hmm. that as buying carbon offsets, or if you view that as traveling slower and spending more time in the places that you go, that's a great way to make your travel more sustainable without throwing it out the window right for like for my antarctica trip i just got back from for example there is huge emphasis on sustainability decontamination um procedures are in place for every time you leave the boat and get back on the boat to make sure you don't introduce um foreign chemicals or contaminants to antarctica which could damage the wildlife huge focus of that trip so i think i could see that being uh becoming a more prolific in destinations around the world um, I got one more. I don't know if you have any more. That was my only one or my only two. All right. I got one more. And this one is one I completely disagree with, but I thought it was interesting to t- talk about zero proof cocktails. Have you heard about this? Yeah, actually mocktails. They're, uh, they're, it's funny because I feel like it's not something that's new in a lot of places of the world. Like a lot of places I've been to in Asia, mocktail, there's a mocktail menu to go with the cocktail menu, but I think it's just yeah. catching on in the U.S., yeah, and I, there's nothing wrong with mocktails. I've, I mean, mocktails have been around for a long time. But it's, the, where I read about this was in Food and Wine, actually. And that one of their top trend predictions was that zero-proof cocktails menus are going to become a huge thing. And that people are going to they're, they're going to be in demand. They're going to replace cocktail menus in some places. And to support this uh, prediction, they cite Visit Salt Lake City the tourism board for Salt Lake City as an example, uh, which is now offering uh, more non-alcoholic options on their menus in restaurants throughout the city. 
claiming that people are reevaluating their relationship with alcohol and aren't as interested in, you know, drinking quite as much and want non-alcoholic options. And they've kind of had a, uh, you know, they're using that as a case study to then predict, well, this is going to become a trend around the country. I don't know. To me, that's kind of like, like using Salt Lake City as a case study for alcohol consumption. It's kind of like polling a convent on their sexual activity and then declaring that people in general are reevaluating their relationship with sex. So I don't know. What do you think? I, I mean, my thought on that is that I do see it becoming more popular for restaurants and bars to have a mocktail menu. I don't think it's going to replace the cocktail menu. I think that, you know, even if people are cutting down on drinking, I mean, like, I think I would put myself in that category. I don't drink like I did in my 20s, but I still like to go out and have a drink or, you know, a nice cocktail or whatever with dinner. Right. Like, I'm, I, I, I think it's still as much a part of the experience if you're into that as it always has been. I don't think it's going to replace anything yeah i mean i think it's cooler to order if you don't want to drink alcohol to order a non-alcoholic like mocktail off a menu than it is to just say can i have an orange juice or can i have a cranberry juice or like think of something it's it's definitely in line with like inclusivity in travel which is another trend that we should that we should note i think a mocktail menu goes a long way towards that towards making people that might otherwise not want to go to a spot because they don't drink or because they don't feel like drinking on that particular day more inclined to go there yeah i definitely support the mocktail menu i just i'm not i'm not quite as bullish as uh, food and wine i guess on whether it's gonna be as explosive as a trend as they as they think it might be but all right is that it for trends tim that's it for trends you just so fully predicted 2023 that's it we, we have we've got 2023 down to wire and we're only three days in here now you know what to expect yeah uh so next up is evan and i are each going to run down a couple of the stories we covered this year that we thought were particularly impactful and important um i i'll start with a story i did in the galilee region and t- uh, uh jerusalem in israel it's actually two stories um i had the chance to go there on a press trip in july and basically tour the entire north of the country and i was impressed with how well israel is able to put you in a situation that isn't what you hear in the media like there actually is all of that of course but a lot of the people on the ground in particular the business owners and the business owners that pertain to travel uh, are all about trying to incorporate the cultural uh, happenings of the entire region and the beliefs of the entire region and and bringing all of that together and I think that it is actually more than possible it's easy to see that on a trip to Israel so what is it that people hear in the news and expect and then what is it that they're actually getting so like what did you expect to encounter in your experience and then what how were your expectations subverted having never been there before uh, but being a, a you know a regular consumer of mainstream media my perception of israel was that it's a very hostile place that it's a very that it's a place where if you're not jewish you're probably going to be treated as lesser than um and again that you can see that happening i'm not trying to say that that's not happening or that it's all you know roses over there because it's definitely not but what i'm saying is that there is a lot of innovation going on among startups and travel businesses and and hotels and stuff there to try to bring a different face of Israel to light to show that that's not all that there is, that there actually is unity. The most uh, striking example I found was I went to 
we went to a few different kibitzes, which was an incredible experience. Uh, a kibitz, if you're not familiar, is basically a traditional agricultural village in Israel that was invented to kind of help people pool resources in more of a socialist fashion around the, the country's independence when they did not have the infrastructure for anybody to make a living. It was all agriculture. Uh, uh, this helped them move away from basically just uh, subsistence farming and help them move away from subsistence farming and into having an economy so that that you can tour the kibitzes around northern Israel and kind of see how Israel modernized itself so quickly uh, by bringing people together to share their resources and live together uh, another thing we did I was not aware of the Druze faith before going on this trip but while there we went to the fa we went to the home of a Druze family and were served traditional meals, uh, uh, a, a traditional dinner. And I had the chance to interview the the cook uh, about her family, about her food, about her culture. Uh, it was through a translator translating uh, Hebrew into English, but her take on Israel being of a religion that is not Jewish, not Christian, and not Muslim was fascinating to see that they actually have an entire community of people uh, uh, living a life that's completely below the mainstream level uh, of what you see in Israel. Yeah, it's funny because on the news, you basically see a distilled, summarized, like spark notes version of what a country is actually like, the things that make the headlines. And while those things aren't necessarily false, you aren't really reading the full book. You're getting the, the spark notes. And then when you go to Israel, you you know you learn about Druze culture and maybe Bedouin culture and all the other stuff, the kibitzes. So you have a much more full understanding, and then you can then go and write about that and you know educate people. And that's kind of I mean for you you was Israel for me this year it was probably Neom in Saudi Arabia, um, which you know you hear all kinds of things about Saudi Arabia, you know negative and positive. You know, many of the negatives are are true. But there's a lot of positives, especially about the people, and you would never really learn about that by reading the headlines. So whether it's Israel or Saudi Arabia, you're pretty much guaranteed for any country you visit that you've heard you know, negative headlines about or reporting on to find a whole new angle and a whole new appreciation when you actually visit it. And that's not exactly a revelation. It. It's not a revelation on the top, but it can be when you're in the moment because, I mean, and that's the, the beauty of travel, right, is it puts you in situations that you didn't expect and haven't dealt with before. And when you come through those situations, you see that, you know, around the world, people are people. And you can't, as we've said on the show multiple times before, you can't judge a people based on their government. Right. And, I mean, one of my favorite stories I covered was Neom, and it's, it's very similar. You hear that, okay, Saudi Arabian guys are allowed to have three wives and we in the u.s are like taken aback by that but then you get there and you meet these people and that's they they have they have a culture they have traditions and they they talk about it and while we might not agree with it and we might not adopt that anytime soon in our own lives it's it makes you understand people on a human level and understand why they think the way they think and why they do what they do and it opens up a lot of uh, ethical tourism conversations too of uh, being in saudi arabia whether it's ethical to visit a, and monetarily support a country, the regime has a lot of ethical and moral issues. While that might be true, 
do you punish the people? Do you punish people by not visiting and spending money in their economy, which they desperately need and want? They want you to come. They want tourists. They want to show you their culture. So, you know, and I, at first I thought, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe this is a little sketchy. And then once you go there, you realize, you know, you forget about all the, the you know, the headlines and the political stuff. And it's, it, but it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I'm not here to say that, yes, you should absolutely visit every problematic, you know, country that's mired in dictatorship and support their economy. But it's, it's worth a conversation. It's worth diving into. And to segue that into a more upbeat, uh, a more upbeat topic, my other favorite story I covered this year was I finally, after 25 years of being a dedicated snowboarder, was able to go on a heli ski trip. Um, I went with a company called Northern Escape out of Terrace, British Columbia, for a four-day excursion into the mountains up there, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, it, the company is doing it great; they're offsetting all of their carbon emissions, um, which you know obviously doesn't make it a perfectly sustainable initiative but it's certainly better than doing nothing and being able to being able to see uh kind of that dream come to life uh for me as a my you know my biggest lifelong hobby to kind of be able to take that to that level was for me very impactful and very you know it was an emotional experience to have yeah you've been talking about that trip for quite some time and uh I'm glad you got to do it. And was that one that had gotten postponed because of COVID? Nope. That's the that's the okay. uh, Kyrgyzstan one I'm going on in February. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Okay. No, that's I'm I'm jealous. I don't even I don't snowboard. The one time I snowboarded, it was an absolute disaster, uh, and I was feeling the the hurt for some weeks afterwards. But I'm I was jealous after you told me about that trip. It sounded incredible. All right. Well, I'll I'll close this section out then with my uh, kind of a weird one. So favorite story I covered this year. And <laughs> this is a tough one to talk about without sounding preachy, but it's a story I've been wanting to write for years, and I finally got the chance to do it. It's about the backpack I use when I travel, and I've used the same backpack for like eight years. I'm a notoriously light traveler, and it's not because I'm low maintenance. I do not consider myself low maintenance at all. It's because I put a lot of thought into what I bring on trips and don't bring anything superfluous, and... A big part of that is this backpack. And it's pretty much all I travel with. I get so much shit for this everywhere I go. Doesn't matter where or for how long, I only bring this backpack, except in some extreme situations where I'll also bring a roll away, but I'll never check a bag. Everyone takes one look at me, all the other journalists on the trip, or my friends, whoever I'm with, and immediately gives me this incredulous look that says, That's all you brought? Like, have you ever traveled before? And it's just so gratifying to prove these people wrong every single time when they're lugging two giant suitcases that weigh 90 pounds each while I'm ready like 50 feet ahead of them with my backpack. And this article I wrote is basically an ode to the backpack I use, but I mean, it's not really about the backpack. It's more about traveling light, traveling efficient, traveling smart. And you can preach that all day to people, but sometimes it takes an actual gear recommendation to get anyone to take you seriously on it. So here it is. That's my article, the Swiss gear, winger, synergy, laptop, backpack, boom. That's all the packing advice you'll ever need. Did I just revolutionize travel? Too early to say. No, but I'm all in favor of the winger backpack or the, or the winger Swiss army knife or anything with the winger With a winger name, name. So. yeah. No affiliation with Tim. Tim does not collect affiliate cash if you buy the winger backpack, despite sharing a name with the winger backpack. 
you're you're a check bag guy, right? You check a bag. I only check a bag if I'm going on uh, like an outdoor excursion where I need gear. Uh, other than that, I don't check a bag. I, I I actually wrote a similar article about the Tortuga setup, or excuse me, Tortuga setout backpack, which is what I use that I always have with me, and it's a little bigger than the bag you use, admittedly, but it is generally all I ever have with me is this bag. It's carry-on size. I never have to check a bag. Um, I gate check it sometimes if I don't feel like dealing with it, but yeah, it's it's the perfect backpack. I've had it for years, and I will continue to have it until it falls apart. I just I just want to help people, Tim. Like I feel like there's a need out there for someone to just like teach a class in travel pack, like a master class. Teach a master class on travel packing. Everyone has different levels of what they can tolerate and what they need to be comfortable on the, on a trip. But again, like I'm not a low maintenance person, and people doubt whether I've brought enough gear all the time, enough layers, enough changes of clothes, whatever, to be comfortable. And every single time they realized they overpacked, they brought six shirts and two pairs of pants and a pair of shoes they never even used. I don't know. Would you pay for my seminar, Tim? Would you host, would you co-host the seminar with me? Yeah. I mean, your seminar has already been done by George Clooney's character in Up in the Air. So you're going to have to, yeah, have right, to expand okay. on it a little bit. No, no. I just, I just want to make people's lives easier. <laughs> so, well, that's it for our favorite stories of the past year. Now let's look ahead. The best destinations that we, well, I guess not looking ahead, but the best destinations that we visited this past year, destinations that are doing things right, that we want people to visit in 2023, and that we're excited about visiting in 2023. So I guess a little bit looking behind and looking ahead. Uh, what do you got, Tim? So I'll start off with Mexico. I think that there are a lot of destinations throughout Mexico that are setting themselves up for success by welcoming uh, uh, remote workers and venturing beyond just the beach resorts. So, you know, there's a lot of companies that are helping that. Selena would be one uh, that kind of makes lodging accessible for remote workers long term, is built for people that are not just traveling for a week. I think Mexico is becoming a leader in having infrastructure for people that are maybe not full-time expats or digital nomads or whatever, but for people that are traveling for more than a week and for people that are probably going to be working or maintaining somewhat of a regular schedule while they're there. Uh, I think there's a lot of Mexican beach towns and Mexico City, Oaxaca, some of the other bigger cities that are that are having that infrastructure in place and are, are honestly regional, if not world leaders on that front. And also, you know, it's it's Mexico, so it's more affordable to do that there than somewhere like the U.S. or Western Europe, which, you know, give or take your, your opinion on that. But uh, it's happening regardless, and they're doing a good job of it. And Mexico is already a huge travel destination. So this is just kind of adding another layer to, to what people already love about Mexico. That's right. What do you got, Evan? For me, I have Slovenia, which I visited back in March. And when I told people I was going to Slovenia, responses pretty much ranged from where the fuck is that to wait, isn't that basically Ukraine? Uh, is that safe? <laughs> so people don't really know much about Slovenia, where it is, uh, myself included, honestly, before I went. But Slovenia has absolutely stunning natural beauty on par with Italy, uh, beaches, mountains, the whole deal. They've got a wine country that people don't know about. They've got an unbelievable food scene that's kind of a melting pot of regional influences. And they've also just got this 
lack of pretension that makes it a, a very accessible and very just a really pleasure to to visit um and the people are very welcoming they they really want to show you their their cooking their history they're very proud of their history their traditions and they're just doing when i visited it with relatively low expectations to be honest i thought they were doing everything right my trip was a food-based trip and i'm not a, i'm not a foodie i like to eat i mean i you know i love to eat but i'm not a foodie i'm not a food or drink expert by any means i hate wine you didn't come away from with a restaurant idea from Slovenia? <laughs> well, quite a few, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll spare the uh, the listeners that for this episode. And I did. I mean, I hate wine. We I did a wine country tour, which was incredible because I mean the wine country is beautiful and the wineries have amazing food too. And I I'm not a Michelin restaurant guy. You know, I don't need the fancy small portions. I hate small portions. We went to this Michelin restaurant. And just to kind of encapsulate Slovenia food scene and the, and the way the people are in a nutshell, um, this, Michelin, this you know Michelin star restaurant in Ljubljana, the capital. I asked the the chef. I sat down with the chef afterwards, and I asked this Michelin star chef what he would recommend to eat in Slovenia. If someone's coming for one night, they need to eat one piece of Slovenian cuisine. What he would recommend, and and his answer was mouse. And I'm like, mouse, what do you mean mouse? Like a mouse that you find in your house? And he's like, yes, a mouse that you find in that they, they come into your house in the winter and you catch them and you kill them and you, you know, you, you, you will eat them. And he says, literally, a mouse that you catch in your house is what he would recommend to cook and eat in Slovenia. That's what people do. What? And he says that it's, you know, that, that, that that's a classic Slovenian dish. <laughs> I think it's dormouse. He's like, yeah, dormouse, you need dormouse. How is it prepared? I don't know. That's just, he just told me mouse, and I, I think that tells you everything you need to know about Slovenia. Here's this guy, who's you know entrees at this restaurant cost you know eighty dollars minimum, and I'm telling, I'm asking him, what do you, what would you recommend? What is that, me as a visitor to your country? What do I need to eat? And he's not joking. Like this guy's serious. Oh no 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 no, he's not joking. I have a have the whole audio transcript of this interview. It's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I did the article about it, and I wanted to include the audio in it because it was just so funny. He was so deadpan and mouse. He's like mouse, you need mouse. And I feel like I, I laughed at first, and I feel like I offended him because is he it was going being like serious. a stew or something? I, I think wonder. I think you can do a lot with it. I think there's a lot of different ways to prepare. You can put it in a stew. You can season it and just serve it as is, like whatever. So I thought that was great. Well. My next destination is somewhere where you're probably not going to find mouse stew, but uh, it, it's it's a place where you'll find a lot of interesting things, and that destination is Reno, Nevada. I think what Reno is doing well uh, is that they're moving away from just trying to be like the the undercover Vegas. They're moving away from just gambling and nightlife and marketing more towards an adventure crowd. Um, I stayed at the Whitney Peak Hotel while I was there, which has a giant climbing wall up the side of it that, go, that goes, you know, up the side of the Skyscraper Hotel above the Reno sign. The whole city is very accessible to everything in Lake Tahoe. There's great hiking, biking, skiing, camping, all of that stuff. And I think they're, the, the city's marketing and tourism departments are finally catching on, embracing, and really emphasizing that instead of just trying to, you know, portray themselves as the Nevada stereotype city. Hey, that's funny, because when I think of Reno, I think of a discount 
Las Vegas. Right. And that's what I've always thought too. And because uh, I've driven through there a few times, but this was the first time, this was just a little over a month ago, actually, where I actually spent some time in Reno and, and used it as a base for Lake Tahoe. And it was, it's very doable. And honestly, I enjoyed being there. Yeah. I, I think of maybe a place where you might find mouse stew served at a shitty motel breakfast at the outskirts of Reno for $12 a night for the room. You might. Furthermore, though, downtown is the National Bowling Stadium. If, if you're into watching bowling, if you ever watch bowling on TV and been like, where the hell is this happening? It's happening in downtown Reno. I saw the stadium from my hotel room, and I, I, I was trying to figure out what it was. I'm sitting there. It was like a huge rainstorm, so I was just sitting in my room looking out the window one night, and there's this giant building with, like, a. it looks like a giant metal bowling ball sculpture on the roof and i was like what why is there a bowling ball sculpture on the roof of that building over there and i ended up realizing that it's a bowling stadium where professional bowling tournaments happen did you consider just crossing the street and partaking in the festivities or just there well there wasn't anything going on that night or maybe i would have sitting in your hotel room sadly staring out the the rain-soaked window listening to blinks i miss you over and over again and that's what I do on rainy nights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one more. I'll keep this one quick. Uh, it's Virgin Voyages, a trip I took in February. Um, first ever cruise I've been on for the most part. It's 18 plus, adult only cruise. So no kids. And I was skeptical because I've never been a cruise guy. I don't like being trapped on a boat uh, for any amount of time where I can't leave. I can't. I don't have the freedom to you know explore a destination. The demographic I always think of as being older. Uh, Virgin Voyages was awesome. Great trip. Everyone on the trip was super fun. Cool restaurants, cool bars, great nightclub. Um, the no kids on the deck, the pool deck thing is really nice. And you don't really realize that there's it's 18 plus until you park next to a Royal Caribbean ship in your destination and see all the hundreds of kids streaming off the boat. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm on this boat. But yeah, anyone who's a cruise skeptic, I would highly recommend Virgin Voyages. Uh, relatively new. They've only launched within the past few years, but they're doing things right. They've got, uh, I think they just launched a new ship in the U.S. as well. So they have two now. And uh, anyone who's thinking about potentially taking a cruise but is maybe on the fence, take Virgin Voyages. They're really doing a good job. All right. Shout out to Richard Branson. Maybe if you take enough Virgin Voyages cruises, you'll get to go into space. Yeah, we'll, we'll tune in for our uh, our year-ahead podcast in 2029 2030 and then maybe we'll be talking about space tourism right virgin galactic leading the charge that year well that's it for 2023 so now you know exactly what to expect you're welcome travel trends stuff to look forward to destinations to visit thanks for being with us for this past year thanks for a great 2022 looking forward to a great 2023 as always stay tuned and we'll see you guys next week